after Arnell. I'll ask Dennis to come right up. A reading from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise be to God. Thank you. I don't think I need two mics, so I better put that one somewhere else before I break it. <clears throat> While Kurt is doing that, I'm going to ask everybody to just stand up for a second. I, the talk about people falling asleep during your class, Kurt, I just thought I might you know, prevent that by everybody just get a little bit of a blood flow again. These are not the most comfortable seats in the world. So anyway, thank you. You might want to shake hands with somebody. Or practice hugging. How about that, Kurt? <laughs> Give somebody a hug. That's your daughter. I know you can do it. Okay. Have a seat. Thank you. For those who may not know, I am, my name is Dennis, and I used to attend here with my wife, Nora. We attended. And then we moved to Chilliwack, made the great pilgrimage to the east instead of to the west. And... Um, Maybe for the same reasons, you could actually buy something there. We could actually pay for it. So I don't know which end of Yale Road you're on. Close to the pub, the Dukes? The Dukes, all right. Not that we hang out there or anything, but um, I know where it is. The only, the only caution is I hope you like the smell of farms. Okay, if you're good with that, then you're in a good spot. Anyway, it's a, it's a beautiful valley we live in. We're all blessed to live in it, but it, it is a very pricey place to live. Uh, we have kids that live in downtown, in, down in Vancouver, and it's like such a struggle for them just, you know, just to make a living and to pay for their accommodations and gasoline and all that stuff. Gas is cheaper in Chilliwack. You can save a few bucks there as well. <laughs> Anyway, so it's, it's good, and I hope you do have success in finding a church. We could cut a couple. We could probably steer you towards it, really uh, have good programs for kids and stuff. We just can't seem to find any that um, have all the things, things we're looking for. We've tried a lot, and we've been to a couple many times, but I wouldn't say that they're home yet. So that's kind of sad to say, but we haven't. 
one thing is we really want communion on the Lord's Day, and it's hard to find that, really hard to find that. And also some of the other doctrinal things that, that are pretty significant are kind of insignificant in a lot of churches. So anyway, but uh, it's all good, and I'm really excited to hear what's going on here with churches getting together and sharing the common faith, because that's something we desperately need. And I appreciate um, Angela, right? Yeah, this morning. What you do for a living really um, inspired the title for this morning's sermon, which we're going to get to in just a minute after we pray. Because this passage of Scripture um, doesn't really say anything about problems solved in it. But to me, this passage, which is a favorite of mine, and it's one of the first Bible passages I had to memorize the whole thing. So from the King James, unfortunately. But uh, memorized it several, several years ago. And to me, it holds a lot of solutions for problems. Especially when you start dealing with people and their struggles in this world. But before we get into all that, let's just pray. Ask God's direction. Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather here in the name of Jesus, the name that is, the scripture says, above all names. And we are blessed that we don't feel forced to bow the knee to him today, but because of our understanding through your spirit of who he is and what he's done, we willingly bow before him today and give him honor and glory. For we know that what he's done for us cannot be found anywhere else in this world or in this universe. Help us to understand that more completely. Help us to put it into practice more completely. And help us, Father, to be agents of that message to the world around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, this passage to me... Well, let's put it this way. I like to solve problems, okay? I loved, I loved math in school. I loved all the, the math formulas. I loved it when they used to give us an equation in math and say, there is a solution, find the solution. And so I, knowing there was a solution, I would just like, I, li- I like to find the solution to things. And that carries over into other aspects of my existence. When there's something broken, I like to try and w- fix it, okay? When I see... Uh, people going through things, I like to try and find a, a solution for them. Sometimes people don't really want solutions, they just want you to listen, so I've, I've had to learn sometimes to shut my yap because I always want to fix what's going on rather than just hear people out and let them find their own solutions. So, and I'm sure in a counseling role, as Angela deals with very deep issues in people's lives, it's really hard not to just sometimes, I always found as a pastor, not to just want to grab them by the shoulders and go, why don't you see the answer here? Because to me, it was quite often very apparent what the answer was. And I thought, you know, I just want to say, what's wrong with you that you can't see that? So as a problem solver and wanting solutions, uh, sometimes learning patience through that is also a difficult thing. But this passage this morning really deals with the heart of the answer to the problems 
of the world and hopefully bringing it down to this church. Any problems that might be in the church today, there's a lot of solution right here in this passage. And write it down even further to your own personal life. There are a lot of answers to the problems that we face in this passage. Now I'm going to take the passage a little differently in that I'm starting at, going to start at the last section and move backwards. Okay, So we're going in reverse today. We want to look at the last basically six verses when it talks about Jesus. And I want us to see that there's an, the incomprehensible heart of Jesus' ministry is laid out for us in a very concise way here. And I call it incomprehensible because you've got to stop and you've got to think, okay, there is a God who created everything. Now, some people want to fight against that around us in the world, but we're here today because we have come to the understanding by faith that there had to be a beginning, and there is a God who created the universe and everything in it. The Bible tells us that. And in that process, he made us, man, the highest. Scratch my head sometimes, and is it really? the highest of his creation because we are created in the image of God in that we have body, soul, and spirit. We are the closest of his creation to him, of his nature. And he made us with freedom of will to choose our own path. I don't believe that everything is predestined for us every step of the way. We must make choices. We have freedom of will, but when God made that choice to make us with free will, he opened the door for making wrong choices as well as right choices. And so he had to build into this creation a plan to reconcile the creation. And thank you, Danny, for picking such wonderful songs that fit with the message this morning. Perfect choices. Jesus, whom we think of in our Sunday school growing up role, more of a man. We think of Jesus from all the movies that we have been made about him and his life, and some of them good and some of them bad, some of them very accurate and some of them very inaccurate, but we have this picture of Jesus. And unfortunately, some publishing houses decided they'd make him look like a blonde-haired, blue-eyed actor when he probably wasn't. He also, according to what Scripture says in Isaiah 53, he probably didn't look like a movie star. He was probably actually physically fairly homely. I know you don't want to hear that because that means you may have to take the picture off the wall of him looking like Charlton Heston. But it says there was nothing about his physical appearance that would draw men to him. Now, if he was handsome and charismatic in his physical appearance, then he would have drawn people to him by that. But he didn't. He drew people because he was God in human form. Incomprehensible that the creator of the universe could humble himself and become a man. 
But that is at the heart of this story, folks. That is the heart of why we're here this morning. Jesus' ministry is based on the fact that God, in order to save his creation, had to become a man and take their sins upon him, as the song we sang this morning. That means he had to humbly, willingly give up heaven for earth. Now, I know when we live in the Fraser Valley, sometimes we think, well, this is heaven. It's beautiful. Some days it's just gorgeous like today. And you wonder why you're in a room with no windows, listening to some guy talk. You'll still have the rest of the day. But this is not heaven. Heaven is so much beyond what this is that we can't even begin to scratch the surface of it. He gave that up to become in human form so that he could obey the Father in being a sacrifice for all of us. His obedience to a plan of substitutionary sacrifice. In other words, he takes on the sin that someone else committed. That's incomprehensible to us. Although there may have been times in your life when you've paid the burden for someone else. I don't know if your circumstances, what they are, but sometimes people you love get into trouble, and what do you do? You step in and you take on something that they've created as best you can. Has anybody here ever had to do that for somebody you love? Yeah, we've all been down that road probably where we will substitute our funds for what they need or things along that line. But think about, and I know you're all saints sitting here, but think about every wrong thing that you've ever done. And don't go into great detail, but think about everything that you may have done that was wrong, every lie you told, every lustful thought, every dishonest thought, every mean thing you've ever said, every person you've ever hated on, think about that as a pile. Okay? Or how about think about it, you, you, ever, go, you ever go by a garage sale where it looks like they have emptied out everything in their home? I mean, literally the yard is just littered, littered with stuff, and most of it just should back up a garbage truck to it, you know? Have you ever been to one of those? Think about all the things you've ever done piled up in a big, ugly pile or spread out over your yard. And think that someone, God, in the flesh, Jesus said, I'll take it. I'll take it on me. And what you deserved is punishment for it. What you deserved, according to the Bible, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll take it on, and you can walk away free and clear. That's the incomprehensible plan of substitutionary sacrifice that Jesus willingly took on himself through obedience to the Father, according to God's plan. He humbled himself, became a man, and was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And The death on the cross was a horrible physical thing, but the death on the cross, the true pain 
was not just the nails in his hands and the spear in his side and not the thorns on his brow, but it was the weight of the sin and the punishment of rejection by God that he took for us. That's incomprehensible. But because of Jesus doing that, it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That the whole world, and many of whom right now, reject this whole idea that I'm just telling you about. It's being rejected by many, that's why this auditorium has not got 400 people in it, is because a lot of people don't want to believe that. They don't want to believe in God, they don't want to believe in sin, they don't want to believe in responsibility, they don't want to believe in a sacrifice. They, they're writing Christianity off. Other religions do not have this. We are the only one that has this. We are the only voice calling out that God who created everything had a plan to save us. The other religions of the world don't have this message of a substitutionary sacrifice that you can just believe in and obey him on a couple of little points and he's now your savior and you walk away. They want you to pay. They want you to pay. Pay for your own sins. Work them off uh, through you know, through good deeds or whatever else, or not even acknowledge them at all. Christianity is alone in this. That's why I call it incomprehensible, because the world doesn't believe it. The world doesn't want to believe it. But I think you're here because you do believe it. And it's extraordinary. Now, I had up there, I don't know if it was on the screen yet, a math equation. Now, there's probably about two people in the crowd who could fix, figure this out. But notice it says, solved by substitution. The problem, don't spend all, no, I see people getting their pens out now. I see, okay, some guys already got it figured out. This, I, the point I wanted to make is this solve by substitution. Okay? This was God's solution. Either you and I had to pay for our own sin or he had to substitute someone to do it. And who else could do it but the one who created us? That, was, that would be the only fair thing. The only fair thing because God made us. He made us. He put us in this world. He gave us the freedom of will. So is he going to pull somebody else over here and say, now you pay for their sins? Either you pay for them or God said, I have to pay for them. It's what made sense. So he solved the problem by substitution. Problem solved. The biggest problem in the world is man and his sinfulness. When you look at the news or you read the paper and you see some of the stuff going on, the biggest problem in the world is not our prime minister, the president of the United States, it's not drugs, it's not specific things that's out there like a big hairy monster. It's men and women making bad choices and sinning. That's the biggest problem. And the solution is here in Christ. Now this passage concludes with that, but it 
back up a little bit in verses 3 and 4. And he instructs us and calls us extraordinary call to be like-minded with Christ. Have the same, the way I learned it was, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Some translations say have this attitude that was also in Christ. This one says have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. We are called to think like Jesus thinks. Now, based on what we just talked about, that's pretty extraordinary thing to ask us, isn't it? Because this is God in the flesh. But he's asking us to be like-minded with him. Don't think too highly of ourselves. Don't operate on selfish ambition or vain conceit. Oh, my goodness. Are we ever guilty of thinking too highly of ourselves or operating on selfish ambition or vain conceit? Now, this is going to sound a little weird, but I want you to think for a second about a baby, a tiny little baby. Does he think too much of himself? Basically, when he's first born or she's first born, all he does is think about himself. I'm hungry. I'm sleepy. I'm, I'm, I'm. Okay? But it's a baby. We don't get shook up by that. We expect that, right? He's a baby. He operates only on selfish ambition. I want milk. I want whatever. I want more. I have to go to the bathroom. I don't care who has to clean it up. I just go. I'm not thinking about anybody but myself here. I'm not thinking about you, dad, or mom, or anything. Just me. Selfish ambition. A baby. Now, how many parents go... Okay, baby, you're, way, you're thinking about yourself way too much here. You're, you're being very selfish. So I'm not going to deal with you at all right now. What do we do with parents to do that? We take the baby away. <laughs> because that's not a good parent, is it? The parent doesn't think anything about getting up in the middle of the night to feed the baby. Yes, they're tired, but they don't say, I'm not doing it this time. Just let them cry all night. If they are, again, we take the baby away. Because now the parent has become what? The baby. Because they're thinking selfishly. We look at babies and children in this way. When when the scripture says, consider others better than ourselves, we go, oh man, that's really hard to do. But every parent in here has done it a thousand times. Consider the child better than ourselves, more important than ourselves. I had a slide here of my, one of my grandsons in there, and just because everybody would go ooh and ah because he was cute. He was two years old at the time, and it, but somehow it got left out, but that's okay. Envision a very cute little boy 
or a little girl, think about your own grandchildren who are all, of course, better looking than mine or whatever. We all think that. Okay? A child, it is so easy to consider them better than ourselves, their needs, their interests, more important than our own. Isn't it? Now, this is a call for us, though, to be like-minded with Christ in that we need to adopt this attitude more towards everyone. And for us to sit there and say, well, that's just impossible. He's asking too much. The fact that you do it for your children proves that it is not impossible. He's not asking something that is impossible. With the guidance of his Holy Spirit, we humble ourselves. We don't think too highly of ourselves. We are in a world today, we are in a society today that is pounding the message, think of yourself first. We are, we are a voice crying in the wilderness here, folks, when we say, don't put yourself first. Don't think highly, more highly of yourself than you ought to. Don't do everything out of selfish ambition. 90% of the world, it seems like today, is operating on the exact opposite. They are doing everything out of selfish ambition. When our leaders get, get up in front of us and do things that are obviously out of selfish ambition or vanity, we sit back and scratch our heads and say they're terrible leaders. But what about when we do it? Don't think of yourselves too highly. Put others first. Consider others better than yourself. This is an extraordinary call for like-mindedness with Christ because this will solve a lot of problems. I, I'm, not, I'm going to not speak for you here. I, maybe I ask you to get up and testify. But I bet you a lot of the problems that you deal with are because children grew up without this kind of love and support. And a lot of the adults who are, are caught up in drugs right now is because they were never loved as they are. They were never loved freely. They were never considered better than somebody else by their own parents or society. I'm saying this because so many of the problems that we are being inundated with can be solved with a like-mindedness with Christ. Now, the next, I do have a slide up here, and they did include this one. Does everybody know what that is? That's fried chicken. And that's not just any old fried chicken. That's not, that's not Kentucky fried chicken. Okay, doesn't have a crust on it, and it's not been deep fried. That's been cooked in a cast iron skillet. That is, that is properly cooked fried chicken. Okay, that's the fried chicken I grew up, grew up eating. And I say, why are you throwing me a picture of fried chicken? Not to make you hungry. There is cake coming. But I grew up in a household where my mother, on a regular basis, bought a chicken, or not even bought a chicken. My aunts got together every six months and killed and cleaned the chickens, okay? Put them in the freezer. And then my mother would pull out a chicken. Am I making anybody sick here? And my mother would then cut the chicken up into pieces and prepare it. 
and she had a particular way of cutting the chicken up so that there were two back pieces, two breast pieces, two thighs, two legs, two wings, and a neck. <laughs> now, I won't tell you how many pieces I ate, but I had, I had to have a couple of particular pieces of chicken. Everybody in our family seemed to have their favorite pieces of chicken. Do you know what my mother ate? The neck and the piece of back. And she said, oh, it's the ones I like the best. And I, oh, sure, okay. And I, um, of course, I was 300 pounds and pounding back the chicken and the mashed potatoes that went with it and the gravy, of course, on everything. And I said, okay, sure, Mom. And, but then, you know, later on in life, I tried eating the neck. Like you burn more calories getting the meat off the neck than you get from the neck. I, you know, it's like, why did my mom say she wanted the neck and the back? Because she put the interests of everybody else before her own. And I guess once she ate it a thousand times, it became her favorite piece, because that's what she got anyway. That's a, maybe a stupid illustration. But folks, it's the, it's the heart here of what Christ is calling us to do put ourselves in the mind of Christ that we will sacrifice. And the last part of this, he gives us the results, the amazing results when people live this call. Is there any encouragement and comfort in the church? Can we find a sympathetic ear? Can we find a shoulder? Can we find a meal brought to us when we need it? Can we find these things in the church in it will happen when we're like-minded with Christ and we're humble and we consider others better than ourselves? Is there affection and sympathy? Is there, do we judge people every time they fall? Or do we empathize with them and we try and lift them up? I've heard it say, said about the church that the church is the only institution that shoots its own wounded. And that is so true sometimes. Churches become these places of judgment and criticism rather than places of love and sympathy and affection. Not that, we, not that we justify people's sin, but we love them through it. We love them when they're in it, and we love them through it and out of it. We don't judge them and criticize, condemn them, and kick them to the curb. And then where do they turn? If they can't find like-minded, Christ-like-minded people in the church, where are they going to find it? And they turn to other places, and if they can't find it, that's why we have a great high suicide rate. That's why we have thousands of people dying of drug overdoses. There's a picture here of a, of a cone, I guess you'd call it. Now, like I said to Kurt earlier, I'm glad that the churches in the area are beginning to show some sense of unity when they're in their single-mindedness for Christ. But here's an illustration that I saw a long time ago, a triangle or a cone. When we, when we get together in the church or with other churches or whatever, if we start talking about the things at the bottom that we don't agree on, we'll never get anywhere. 
But if we all are saying, I want to be like-minded with Christ. I want to understand things the way Jesus did. I want to see things the way he did. I want to see people the way he sees them. I want to treat people the way he sees them. If we're all moving towards that, no matter how far apart we are when we start, are we going to be closer together or further apart? Closer together. The closer we get to the mind of Christ, the closer we get to seeing things his way, the closer we are to each other. So what do we focus on? Do we focus on the things we disagree on? Which is what's going on all around us in the political world today? Or are we going to focus on the thing we do agree on and realize that we all have to change, don't we? We're all wrong on a lot of things. We've all got things that we've got messed up So if we get closer to him, we'll start seeing clearly the things that we agree on and we'll also start agreeing on things because we think the way Jesus did. And the only way to do that is through God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through praying together and working together. And then we will begin to have this picture that he gives us here in Philippians of an undivided love having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That's not just trying to describe one congregation. That's trying to describe the church as a whole, being of one mind and one accord. What is that mind? Having that spirit of affection and love, it's Christ's mind that we've come to because we've given up so much that holds us back down here and moving In that direction, the hardest thing for a a Christian to say and for a pastor to say is, I was wrong. Oh, I was wrong on that. Hmm. Maybe there's a better way. That's pretty tough for some of us. (laughs) Trust me. That brings us down to the final scripture I want to read from Ephesians 4. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of what? The fullness of Christ. So we're no longer babies, children, infants, tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which, by, with which it is equipped, when each work, part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the love of Christ, the bond of Christ. We thank you for the the sacrifice of Jesus, for his example, and we pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, we might each one move closer to that mind of Christ. Bless this congregation, Lord, in all their efforts, and bless us as we share in the communion today, the communion that reminds us of this sacrifice, this sacrificial, substitutionary sacrifice that Jesus made for us. In his name we pray, amen.